Welcome back, everyone. This is episode three of the Live Fire Cooking Podcast with Derek Wolf, Christy Vanover, and myself. And we're going to be diving right into our normal beginning, which is where I go ahead and ask each of them what they've been cooking recently and explain what's going on. So Derek, why don't we start with you this week? What's something you cooked recently that you're excited about? Yeah. So yesterday, um, you know, so I wanted to do like a fun twist on uh, carne asada. Um, and so I was actually working with some Portero blade steaks. I've actually never cooked a blade steak. Have y'all ever cooked a blade steak before? I have not. I don't think so. So, um, at least the way Porter road cut it this way, they're very, uh, uh, they're long and thin and they're very similar to, um, flank steak in a lot of ways, but they almost, it's like if flank steak and skirt steak, uh, became, best friends. So, <laughs> um, so I was like the thickness of flank steak, but it has that like long thinness of like a skirt steak. It was crazy. I've never, I've never cooked with one, um, before all that to say, I, uh, charred up some tomatillos, um, and more or less made like a, almost kind of like a salsa marinade, um, where I did tomatillos and onions, uh, a lot of garlic, uh, threw in a little bit of my hatch chili seasoning, um, salt, uh, a little bit of black pepper, uh, lime. It was pretty much all green, uh, cilantro, uh, and a little bit more, uh, oh, and, uh, some cumin and threw that all together in a blender. And then I let that marinate for, like two hours uh, in the fridge uh, with the blade steaks. Um, and then I grilled it over the fire. It was, it was a lot of fun, man. Um, it, they cook really fast too. Uh, very similar to like flank. So uh, it was delicious. Uh, in fact, I probably would marinate it uh, even longer. I don't usually marinate beef for more than maybe like two or three hours just because I don't, um, it's not quite like chicken uh, or even some pork where it probably could use the flavor additive. Um, but yeah, so that's what I cooked yesterday. Interesting. So was that, was that like from the texture standpoint, like obviously we have some steaks like filet that are just super, super tender. And we have some steaks that are like picanha that's like not nearly as tender, but very flavorful. Where was it kind of the spectrum when it comes to like uh, comparing to other steaks? You know, it's definitely a butcher cut. I will say that Um, it uh, it's not as tender as flank um, and and even not as tender as skirt and especially not as tender. I I cut, you know, against the grain, did the, you know, just tried to follow the grain kind of went everywhere in a lot of ways um, on some of the steak. And so, you know, it was very similar to like tri-tip where you just had to slice it in a couple of places so you could get a grain, um, to cut against. Um, right. Right. And even after that, uh, it was totally like it was tender, but it was definitely not to a level of, um, I don't know, like skirt or it didn't have as much fat content, um, especially inside that. Uh, so yeah, it, it was great. It was almost, it was kind of like, um, obviously it didn't have the flavor profile of maybe like wild game or venison or something like that, but it, it tasted a lot like, um, venison in the, uh, just not super, super tender. All the right. Time. 
Right, right. Was that from the belly? Is it similar to like a flat iron maybe? Yeah, very similar, very similar. Um, yeah, it it was it was super good. I've never even had a blade steak before. And um, most of my experience with blade steak has really been uh, from people that I know in Russia. Uh, a lot of people in Russia really love blade steak and uh, or I believe that some of them call it pencil steak. I could be wrong. Um, but it is interesting. They cut it a little different for what, how I was doing it, but, um, you can cut it into steaks instead of like the strip. Um, and it has this like layer of fat, um, that looks like a pencil or a a blade in the middle of it. It's really cool. That's interesting. Yeah. So I wonder like that from a butcher cut standpoint, is it, is that one that like, it seems like more and more people are being exposed to uh, all these different cuts that, you know, aren't necessarily as expensive as like a filet or ribeye uh, with cool ways of cooking it. Do you th- think that like the blade steak is something that you, you're going to start using more and incorporating more like you do with a lot of other butcher cuts or is it going to be more of a one-off thing for you? Do you think? You know, I think it could be something that has a lot of uh, opportunity. Um, you know, I think when when you go online or you look for even recipes with blade steak, you're not really finding too much. I mean, um, it 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 comes from like the chuck section, so it's not necessarily um, always considered uh, just like this prime place to get a lot of meat. But I think for a lot of people, um, it should be an interesting twist uh, to add into your. Um, you know, add into your cooking styles. If if you want to cook with blade steak instead of doing, you know, like flank or skirt or a lot of those um, thinner cuts, uh, flap or bavette. I mean, they're all really great, but I, it was fun. It was a good twist. And I think that um, for me, I think it's just a cut that I just want to learn how to master similar to like hanger or some of these other butcher cuts um, out there that, uh, are not as well known to most of the public um, just because they're, uh, they're different and interesting. Um, They're a little, not harder to work with, but they're something that you need to uh, work a little harder to get flavor or, um, or even to get them to a place where they're ready to grill or whatever you need to do. So uh, yeah, Yeah. it was really great. Awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm such a huge fan of the Chuck Primal. Uh, there's so many good cuts. Like if you if you have the opportunity to actually buy a whole Primal or even a sub Primal, the you know the Chuck Roll as an example, and break it down yourself and and find the different cuts in there. I mean, you're right. It does some of the some of the cuts take a little bit more like tenderization, maybe some marination. But think about it. Most hamburgers are made from Chuck um, sure. ground Chuck with like 80 20, and so it's a really good flavorable part of the cow and it is a little less expensive. So if you get like a chuck eye steak, that's actually connected. It's basically where the ribeye meets, like where the rib meets the chuck. And so if you get that edge of the chuck roll, that's near where the ribeye would be, you're getting a, a, you know, a much cheaper, basically ribeye steak. Um, that's just, you know, inches away from where you would pay, you know, maybe a few dollars more per pound. So yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the chuck primal. And if you've never done chuck ribeyes, they are awesome. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Yeah, I did. Speaking of butcher cuts, I did Terrace Major for the first time a couple days ago, um, which I guess would you call that a butcher cut? I would say, yeah, 
Yeah, it's getting more popular, but yeah, totally getting more popular. In fact, it's like, a, I mean, it's like the mini tenderloin. So right. <laughs> it's kind of coming along. Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it. But that was the first time that I had personally cooked it. But butcher cuts are a good time. And, and it allows I think people us to be more creative because everyone can cook a ribeye. I think Derek, you said that recently, like everyone can cook a ribeye. And that's not necessarily true. But you know, a ribeye is an amazing cut. But it's we've all kind of experienced that what what that has to offer in its different ways, and so I think butcher cuts are kind of a great extension of that that we can kind of get more creative. Um, Christy, what's something that you've been cooking recently that you're excited about? Yeah, so actually speaking of of like butchering stuff, so I um, on my Instagram lately, people will see that I was trimming down some brisket. Um, you know, I do a lot of competition, but when I do that, I trim down to a really finite piece of meat that's really intended for those six slices I got to give the judges and everything that's left over is a lot of trimmings and usually it's Wagyu or certified Angus beef or some really high quality brisket. Um, So, you know, I go through a couple of comps and I keep that in the freezer and then when it's time I go ahead and I make smoked sausage um, with all that. So this past week I was grinding down on my brisket trimmings. Um, I threw in a little bit of chuck too because I happen to have some chuck trimmings from a recent chuck roll. that I broke down um, and I made smoked sausage. And so yeah, just a couple, a couple pointers with that. Um, definitely you want to look at your meat to fat ratio. I do like at least 80, 20, sometimes even seven thirty when I'm doing smoked sausage um, from a meat to fat ratio. I think it just creates a juicier sausage. Um, basically you want to do like one to one and a half percent salt to meat. That's the ratio you want to go for there. So if you're making a a short cured sausage, you want to use nitrite. If you're using, if you're making a long cured sausage, that would be something like a salami. You'd want to use nitrate. So I just did a regular like kielbasa style. So I do one teaspoon of nitrites for every five pounds of ground meat. And then I threw in some seasonings, just your traditional stuff, you know, your salt, pepper, garlic powder, onion powder, or you'd like to use marjoram as well. Um, And you chill it. It's really important to keep sausage cold as you're making it. Uh, If you let it warm up and the fats melt, that's when you're going to get a dry crumbly sausage. So I chill it every step of the way. I mix up my meat and my spices. I chill it. Then I stuff it. Then I chill it some more, let it dry out before I smoke it. Um, And then when you smoke it, I like to do it on a pellet grill because then you can really control a low, low temperature. Um, If you're doing something straight over wood, it's just hard to keep it below 200 degrees. I like to start at 160, go for about an hour, move up to 170 for an hour, and then finish it off at 180 degrees um, for another two to three hours until it reaches that internal temp of about 160. And then the last step of it is just really um, splashing it into a cold ice bath. And that's going to just help firm everything up, kind of give it a shock, and then just heat it up and eat it when you're ready to go. So when you actually cook that, like when you're actually serving that, you don't need to really do it's ready to go. I mean, what do you how do you prepare that sausage to be eaten then once you're actually cooked? Yeah, great question. So you could actually just eat it like that. You could slice it and eat it um, or do like you do with hot links or any other kielbasa. One of our favorite dishes is dicing it up in a pan with some peppers and onions and serving it over rice. Um, but you could also just grill it up. It's, it's already cooked, but you could just grill it up to get those skins nice and crispy and, and that meat just kind of getting those fat juices rolling again and throw it in a hot dog bun. Gotcha. Okay. That's, that's kind of what I was wondering. You had to like do anything special in preparation, but just basically yeah. a hot dog. You can go either way. 
Yeah. And the reason that I use nitrites, you don't have to use nitrites, but the reason that I do is because you got to keep your, your meat temperature in that safety zone. So right. anytime it's between that one, between 40 degrees and 140 degrees for more than a couple hours, then you hit that danger zone by having the nitrites in there and heating it up slowly on the smoker, then you are, you know, your meat's going to be safer. It's going to prevent that botulism. So. Right. Right. So what if for someone just trying to get into making sausage, what's can you give us a quick round of the equipment that that you would need to to do that? Yeah, so I I've had a KitchenAid for years because I like to bake too. So for my grinder, I do have the KitchenAid attachment. I have found I'm not a fan of the KitchenAid stuffing attachment. It just it just is not. It, I just end up cussing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I broke down and I got a five pound LEM stuffer. Um, it's awesome. I can put the entire five pounds of meat in there and put the casing. You're, you're gonna. I use hog casings. Um, you can just get them on Amazon, um, and they're salt cured. And then you just soak them in water for an hour or two. Um, but then you slide those onto the stuffer tube. And with the LEM stuffer, it's a hand crank and it pushes. So think of a cylinder full of meat with basically like. Um, I don't know, like a circle on top of it that presses down the meat as you crank it. So it moves in a really solid flow into your tube to prevent air pockets. I found with my KitchenAid stuffer, you have to put in like little handfuls of meat at a time and then it starts to come out and then it gets air. And so it just, it's not as smooth with the LEM product stuffer. It just, it's like done in uh, less than five minutes. Wow. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause that's, I think that'd be helpful for people, you know, to, getting into it, what equipment you need to, uh, actually execute. And then obviously set a pellet grill is what you prefer to actually smoke the links then. Yep. You could use an elect an, any type of electric smoker, like a master built would work as well. Um, it's just really hard to get your temperatures as low as, you know, 160 to 180 using actual wood, unless you, unless you build like a nice smokehouse and you have enough distance from your fire to where you're actually hanging your meat. But, um, I don't have all that. So I just did it in the pellet and my green mountain grill and Worked great. That's awesome. Um, are you going to be? I'm sure you'll be doing some recipes with that sausage then in the future on your on your page. I sure am working on a video now for just the whole process um, and the post about the whole process, and then from there I'll definitely be mixing it up and doing some recipes. I think I've got about six or seven links that I got done out of like loop links. Right. You know, like if you see that Hillshire Farms at the grocery store, that type of stuff. Sure. Um, yeah, I got six or seven of those out of five pounds. That's awesome. And what's great about it is you're kind of like, it's like the full circle. Like you're, like you said, you're using the trimmings from your brisket and, uh, kind of getting everything, everything out of it. Yep. I catch so much shit for when I trim my brisket. I mean, pe <laughs> people on social are like, why are you cutting away so much stuff? You're wasting so much. And it's like, trust me, it's not going to waste. It's all good. <laughs> That's funny. It kind of reminds me in a different way, but the Haltman guys locally here that, uh, like a butcher shop, they, when they trim their fillets, they, they just, they invented this, what they invented. They just made a fillet burger. So it's like a burger that's 100% filet, but it's just made from the trimmings that they're constantly getting off of trimming out their actual filet cuts. And so then you get this, you know, really cool extra tender burger. But yeah, nice. it's just, it's awesome how much you, like if you're, if you're thinking about it, like what I'm like, what, where I think about this more is like when I'm like after I've harvested a deer and how I'm cutting it up, it's like thinking about every part, how it can be used in like your a primary cook and then like a secondary cook or go into an ingredient in something else. And it, it's, it's amazing if you're like creative with it, how much even like bones and, and fat and tissue and stuff like that you can, you can use in, you know, really interesting ways. Yep, definitely. What are you guys, either of you, this is either of you, is there anything coming up on the horizon 
that you guys are excited about um, or any cooks that are coming up or events that you're excited about? Anything that's on the horizon for either of you guys? I'm I mean, on my way to the American the, Royal. <laughs> well, yeah, the Royal. Um, I mean, in a couple of weeks, we got social feasts going on. We so do. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, so social feasts, um, there's a bunch of us going camping. There's about nine of us who are in the barbecue grilling community, um, who most of you probably already follow us all on social media. Um, and we're, we just basically were, we've got some cabins, some tents, and we're going to this campsite that we've booked out and we're just going to light up a whole bunch of pits and just cook up a whole bunch of food and get creative and have fun and kind of feed off of each other and, and then share everything on social media. That sounds pretty epic. Is there, is there, this is the first one that's been done? Social feasts? Um, we did something similar about five years ago. Okay. Um, about six of us, we were brand new to all of this. We were new to social media. You know, we only had a couple thousand followers at the time. Right. Um, and we just decided to get most of the gang back together, bring in a few new people. Um, so Derek wasn't with us last time. He's joining us this time. Um, Matt from Sasquatch Barbecue, uh, Learning to Smoke, Dan. Um, we've got Scott from Grill and Fools, David from uh, Life Fire Republic. So just a lot of cool people. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, there's not really like a schedule. It's just like, let's get together. We all love to cook over fire and let's just feed off each other. Like we've got, um, Allie from Allie's kitchen. She's not so much in the grilling and barbecue community, but her tablescapes are out of this world. And she's traveled all over the, the country. I mean, all over the nation, excuse me, all over the world. Um, and everything that she brings from when she did this with us before is just amazing. Her Mediterranean twist on food is fascinating. Um, and then we've got Mary from a Mary recipe. Also, she's not in the grilling community, but she is fantastic at baking and she can bake anything in a Dutch oven or on a grill. Um, so we've just got a lot of mix. And then Kita from Girl Carnivores joining us as well. She did it with us five years ago too. So it's, we all have just these different skill sets and different talents and just coming together and learning. It's kind of a, it's kind of like a mini workshop for all of us. We learn from each other, we feed off of each other, and then we just eat really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So when this podcast airs, it's going to be right before, probably right before or during this event as it's going it's going live. Where should people go to to see what all you guys are doing? Like, is 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 there should is there certain accounts that they should follow on Instagram, or what's the best place to to view all the content? Yeah, great question. So the um, the event is actually October 4th through 8th. We're going to be in Bryce Canyon National Park in Utah. And really just follow all of our personal accounts. We'll also be reposting stuff on Social Feasts, which is on all the platforms, Facebook, Instagram, um, Twitter, etc. But really just follow those of us who you already follow. And we're going to be sharing stuff live in our stories. We're going to be doing all sorts of stuff. And it's, it's just going to be pretty organic. It's just going to be us having a fun time. But we want to engage with our followers too. So if they're like, hey, why did you cook it that way? Or could you try this? You know, we just want to, we're just kind of experimenting. And then um, if it's as successful and as fun as I think it's going to be, um, we're hoping to do this a couple times a year and even bring new people on board with us. That sounds awesome. And Derek, you said you're going, right? Oh yeah, I will be there. It's going <laughs> to be a great time. Sounds awesome. Yeah. So we'll, um, I'll probably link up some of that stuff in the, in the description of this podcast of where exactly to go to follow all that stuff. But I'm thinking this will probably, this episode will air just before or during the first day of that uh, social feed. So it should be, should be good timing. Um, awesome. Is there anything else you guys um, have? I, I, you mentioned the rule. Can you tell us a little bit about that for those of us that don't know too much about the barbecue competition world? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the American Royal is one of the world championship barbecue competitions. Um, surprisingly, there are a couple world championships, like the Jack Daniels and the Houston Rodeo. Um, but this is the one that's in Kansas City every year. Um, and there's two competitions. So Friday night is like, I think they call it like the biggest party in barbecue or something like that. Like these teams that come from all over the country, they go all out and they throw these extravagant parties on Friday night. Um, all member, it's open to the public. People all just come in and have a really good time. And then Saturday is the invitational. Um, and that's when you have to have won another competition and get an invitation to compete in the Saturday um, competition for your four meats, your brisket, ribs, pork, and chicken. Um, so those teams compete, then they'll have awards Saturday night. And then the open is on Sunday. And that's when any team across the country can drive in, fly in, however they want to get their pits there and compete. And last year, I think there was at least 600 teams. I mean, it takes up the whole Kansas City Whoa. Speedway, side to side, end to end. It's just packed. Um, and they're all doing those four meats. There's some additional um, ancillary things. I think turkeys out there this year, maybe sausage. Um, so I'm actually going to judge. Um, so I'm going to be eating cool. like crazy all weekend. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's awesome to judge competitions like this because you actually get to taste what world champions are like the best of the best are preparing. And then that helps me as a competitive pit master, because then I'm, I'm just tasting different flavor profiles and tasting different tenderness levels. And it helps me kind of tweak what I'm doing to see what the best of the best are doing. That's awesome. So it's basically like the Royal would be one of the biggest three you said, I mean, of, of like total barbecue competition, that'd be in the top three. Oh yeah. It's probably in the top two, honestly, yeah. this and the Jack Daniels would be like the creme de la creme. That's awesome. So I'm sure if people want to be following along, they can follow along on your, on your page and you'll be keeping us updated. Absolutely. And any pit master that you follow is probably going, right. <laughs> whether they're, com whether they're competing or hanging out. It's just like, yeah, it's, I know Derek was there. You were there last year, right, Derek? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we all just kind of went and hung out last year just to see what it was all about. And, um, I was like, I got to judge this. This is pretty cool. So someday I hope to compete at it, but it's a little bit of a drive for me from Vegas. So. Right. Right. Awesome. Um, that's, oh, I know one thing we were going to touch on. Um, we had Chris and get an update on our dilemma from our last episode. We were trying to figure out why does certain cuts of fish, why do they accept or absorb smoke so much better than other cuts? Um, can you fill us in on what you found out? Yeah. So coincidentally, um, we were just talking about fish and like the next day, um, Gordon Ramsay, uh, came out and was fishing in an area where I was at. So I live in Las Vegas, so it's not unusual for like Vegas celebrity chefs to be around. Um, and he was fishing for rainbow trout and I had the chance to talk to one of the other chefs who were with him. And I asked him the question. I was like, Hey, we had this dilemma about rainbow trout and why does it take on more smoke than other fishes like pike? And we were actually right in our guesstimate and that it's, um, it, because it's a fattier fish, it has has that ability to absorb more smoke. So right. it's pretty cool timing that that uh that they confirmed what we were thinking. That's great. So fish, yeah. official answer. Yeah. So the fattier the fish, the better it's gonna accept smoke. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Derek, do you got anything uh anything else in your mind? No man, I think Christy has the most exciting week. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I, I don't know. I want to hear about Jonathan's boar. So oh, you, did, yeah. you did the boar. Yeah, let's hear about that. Yeah, so last episode, I, I was threatening to try to cook a whole leg of wild boar, which actually is the hind quarter. So it'd be like the rear, it'd be like the ham cut on a uh, a pork. And so I I had I had cooked the front two shoulders of this particular boar already, just low and slow, the same way you do like a pork butt um, on, I think it was on a, 
green egg or, or uh, it was on a ceramic and uh, that turned out great. But what I wanted to do with this rear hind quarter was do it over open fire. So I started the fire at like eight in the morning, um, maybe seven thirty. I got I got it to like a good consistent heat, and then I covered the whole. I I didn't like do really any pre prep. I just thought it till it was, um, you know, thought all the way through, and then because it would be in the freezer, and then I just covered it with Derek's Tennessee smoke, and hung it off of the kettle winch over the fire. And I and I basically what I would do is I just keep it above the flames where it's getting pretty consistent heat, but not actually you know coming in any flame contact. And then I would flip it using like, I just put meat, meat hooks, just kind of dig them in. I do t- one on the top because I could I have a strong tendon where the, where the, uh, like the shank is or where the leg bone comes out. Um, and then the bottom where you don't have quite as much uh, to, to grab into, I'd use two for extra support. And then I just flip it back and forth every maybe two hours. And I cooked it for, I think, six hours like that. And then the internal was hovering in like the 150s. I wanted, because it's a wild game, I wanted to be like up in the 180s um, just to make sure. And so then I t- actually tinfoiled it and I dropped it down closer to the to, to the fire to finish it up and brought it up to like 180, pulled it off. And um, it was really good. The flavor was great. It was a little bit dry, which I kind of expected it to be, um, partly because wild boar is significantly leaner um, than a domestic pig would be. But the flavor was great. And it was like, it was, it basically, I, I cut it up here at the, at the office and it just all disappeared like right away. Like the whole thing was gone. <laughs> People were taking stuff home. So it, it was definitely well received. Um, considering it's, you know, it is a wild uh, creature. It was the first attempt over the fire. I was really happy with it. It nice. looked amazing. Yeah, it did. Yeah. <laughs> and it's baller. <laughs> yeah. Sh- shout out to the Tennessee smoke so far, Derek. So we, we bought the official, like the wolf pack when you launched. And the problem has been, We've been using Tennessee smoke like way faster than everything else. We keep having to reorder that individually because it's like it's beating out. I like all I like everything in that in the rub pack, but for for what we're doing, especially with open fire stuff, the Tennessee smoke is just is crushing it. Yeah, well, that Tennessee smoke is so good. It was a lot of fun to create, so it definitely has a lot of flavor from uh, from my experience here and. Uh, I love it's a, a little ode or a little nod to the Smokies a little bit too. Ooh, I never even thought of that. Yeah. Nice. Like nice play on words. Well, it's been officially used on a leg of wild boar and it was successful. So I think, I think that was the first time it ever been used for that. I'm going to, that's my claim to fame. So <laughs> I bet you're right. I bet you're right. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks guys. Um, I'm excited to see what, how the role goes. And also then um, the social, is the social feasts plural? Yep. That's right. Because you'll be doing more than one feast, obviously, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Sounds great. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And we will see you on the next episode.